This podcast is brought to you by Benjamin, a workflow automation engine that allows advisors to focus on their clients rather than data management. Learn more at getbenjamin.com. My approach and what behavioral psychology would tell you to do is give as much value as you possibly can, solve as many problems as you possibly can, because people will reciprocate. Today on Bridging the Gap, I am joined by Evan Beach. Evan is a CFP and the Director of Wealth Advisory at Campbell Wealth Management, where he is responsible for new client financial planning and existing client education. Evan has a talent that I'm super intrigued about, and we opened the conversation learning more about how and why he began drawing pictures to help get his desired message across. We dive into the message behind Evan's article on the psychology and science of persuasion, the perception of scarcity surrounding advisors, and how someone can utilize this to gain clients. We also talk about learning how to attach value to limiting your calendar. It was a conversation that went all over the place, but every place it went delivered unique value to both me and to you as a listener. Evan also explains the importance of being intentional with your time within your business. Gosh, everything. We touch on all topics. This was a great conversation. So let's jump into the conversation with Evan Beach. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Evan Beach, welcome to Bridging the Gap. Thanks for joining us, man. How's everything in, uh, in your world up in Virginia? How are you doing? It's good. Thank you. I'm excited to be here, but all is well. Very good. Very good. And I'm super excited about this conversation because you've written, we were just talking about it a little bit offline or before we started about, you know, I said, I sometimes look down at this note card that I have here and I draw pictures and I was looking at some of your pictures that you were drawing. I'm curious what, I just want to go that avenue first and then I'm going to get into your back and your history. But what led you to just start drawing these pictures and posting them to help get your 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 desired message across? What led you to go down that path? Because I think about Carl Richards and some of what he did. What led you to go down this path as well? Good question. I I think it's the way my brain works. The, the way I think about things, like people can't see us, we're on a podcast, but I, anywhere you see me, you'll see me with an iPad and an Apple pencil, just because like the the way I think is in pictures. And I, I think... Carl, when you hear him speak, you know, he always tells this story about this couple and he was trying to explain some concept and finally he just drew it and it was kind of like a, a crystallizing moment where they're like, oh, got it. You know, that's that's been proved. There are tons of people who have who have written about this. Mitch Anthony is one who talks about, you know, the, the power of visuals. And I don't know, they my, my previous firm, they, they trained it. I think this was an Ameriprise thing where they call them chalk talks. So you want to you want to show people what a mutual fund is versus a single stock. Here's a drawing to do it. So I don't maybe I was trained early on and that's the way I, why I think this way. But it, literally, when a new concept comes in, I just kind of like I just draw it out. Yeah, I love that idea. Chalk talks. I think that that's phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> I you know I I'm. I'm, I'm interested to talk about some of the psychology and science that you've written about, right? You've written about a lot of stuff in, in, for Michael Kitsis and Nerd's Eye View and, and, and the blog there. But I, I want to first start, I, I kind of jumped the gun by asking you about drawings and got into that before I even laid the groundwork. So I want to take a step back. And I always like to know what led you to this industry, right? How did you get to where you are? I'm always curious on the journey that people go through. Uh, and I, I like to ask that in two questions. One is, How'd you get here? 
that's one question. But the second question is, is, and maybe you answer the second question first is, you know, 13 year old Evan Beach, what did you want to do where you wanted to be a financial advisor that did chalk talks and drew pictures to explain financial concept? I mean, what was the 13 year old Evan Beach hoping to be one day? <laughs> oh, gosh, I don't know. I'm gonna have to guess at that answer based on a, a very immature 13 year old Evan Beach. But it, the, the first one's easier to answer. And it, it, your previous the, the guest was on right before me. She had a really strong answer to this. And it's it's an answer similar to a lot of people. Some tragedy or some opportunity led them here. Like the, the tragedy in her case is I think her dad passed and she was trying to help her mom with the finances. They, the founder of my firm, Campbell Wealth, similar story. Dad passed away, saw his mom struggle like that was his lead in. The, the opportunity side of it is. A lot of people will say, oh, my grandfather helped me buy McDonald's stock or GE stock, and I have this certificate on my wall. Well, I graduated, and I think you may have too, in 2009. Like, I got yep. one job. <laughs> <laughs> so people have these glamorous pass in. I went to University of Delaware, went there to play soccer. I ended up not playing soccer, did business undeclared. And maybe this will answer the, the, the other question business undeclared until they said, hey, you have to pick a major. And I remember walking across the green at Delaware and I'm with my friend, Tim. And I said, Tim, which major are you picking? Because I had to pick that day. I literally left it to the last day. He said, I'm, I'm picking operations management, basically statistics, because my answer recruiter and she said they make a lot of money. And I was like, cool, that's what I'm doing too. And then 2009 rolls around. I had no, no job offers. I was interviewing anywhere I could and my roommate had taken a job with ING in Philadelphia, ING Financial Partners, the financial planning arm or the brokerage arm, whatever you want to call it. He said, yeah, I'm going to work for them because they're on, they're in a high rise and they pay more than everybody else. I was like, cool, can you get me an interview? <laughs> and that was the only job I got. So it was like, it was not a glamorous path at all. Now, it, you know, I feel very, very fortunate that I landed where I did because this is a, a sales role, which is probably why I got it. And I, I thrived in that. And, and I kind of did it the, the reverse of how people come into this industry today, where I learned the sales side and then went back and, you know, got my CFP, my EA and the, the rest of it after the fact. Whereas now, you know, people learn the education and then they learn the business. So 13 year old Evan Beach, and all I did was play sports. I did not do well in school. I was good at math. Am hopefully still good at math, but I yeah I I had all sorts of different jobs. I ran soccer camps. I mean, soccer was a big part of my life, so I, I ran soccer camps. I worked at a soccer store. I started like businesses outside of the soccer store, so kind of entrepreneurial from the get go. But no, I I did horrible my first finance class. It, it's it's really hard for me to apply or succeed because of the lack of application anything where I can't see the application. And I think a lot of people are like that, but it, you know, that's what this, where the statistics kind of clicked for me, where I was like, oh, this is business statistics. If I do this, this will save this much money. Yeah. Yeah. That is so interesting how you know, everybody's journey to where we are today is different, right? Oh, nine was not a great job market. You take what you can get and then you yeah. evolve your career and you fall in love with it. 
you know, and, and don't, don't, you know, the, the 13 year old Evan Beach not knowing what you want to do is, is not, not necessarily a, a bad thing. You know, my three year old uh, the other day when he first started school on his first day of school, we asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up for his sign to take a picture. And he said he wanted to be a dinosaur. So, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, it's everybody can have different, <laughs> different desires. And uh, he wants a dinosaur as a pet when he gets older. And I told him I, I'd, I'd work on it, but it may be hard. Um, yeah. So yeah, that'll be a challenge, you know, it, it, but you'll be awesome if you can pull it off. Right. If we can pull it off. I mean, uh, he didn't say it had to be a real dinosaur. So maybe there's something <laughs> there. But but the journey is always different. And and you you started at ING, you're, you move over to, you're at Campbell now. But I want to dig into this idea of psychology and science. You, you wrote this article for Kitsies on Nerd's Eye, Nerd's Eye View blog, persuading prospects to become clients by leveraging influence techniques. I, I'm I'm curious on this, right? Because, you know, I think about I think of it as selling, right? I think of it as the sale and advisors tend to move away from that. We're not selling, we're building relationships. We don't sell. That's more of the brokerage world, you know, wirehouse, stripe suit, mahogany desk. Talk to me about what this article, you learned in this article, because you also mentioned the book by Robert Cialdini and the influence of the psychology of persuasion. So what did you learn when you wrote this article of how to persuade clients? I think just to answer that part, a lot of these things are, I don't want to say common sense, but when you hear them, they, they call them weapons of influence, which I don't, I don't love the terminology, but Chaldini has these weapons of influence. And when, when you hear these things, you're like, oh, that makes sense. But, but I do want to take a step back. I, I teach a, a course called Sell is Not a Four-Letter Word. So like, I don't, I fully embrace when, when prospects come in here and they refer to me as the the sales guy because I do the business development for the firm, I'm not offended by that. I think you're only offended by that if you don't buy into your product. So this has been pretty much Daniel Pink basically disproved that the selling is bad notion. And and basically said, look, even in non-selling roles, we're we're spending a huge percentage of our time selling. So I, we're trying to get away from it because of the horrible name our industry has made for itself. And we're like, no, 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 we're not those people, right? We're RIAs, we're fiduciaries, we don't sell. But my whole thing is, look, if, if somebody's going to be better off with you than without you, even after they pay you, it is on you to sell them because the other person over there, that person who does have a bad product or service is going to be a better salesperson than you. And so they're going to, they're going to get closed by somebody who's got a worse product, which is ultimately, you know, a negative societal impact. So that that's the first thing is I'm kind of leaning into selling on the RIA side because I know that the impact is so positive. I, I, I want to, that is interesting because I think that the idea of selling having this negative connotation, it's because of the industry that we're in, but everything that you do is selling, right? What I, and, and so like the, the question is, is like, you know, what is so bad about selling? If you're selling and you're being honest, you're being direct, you have the other person in mind, but you still have to, to sell your, your value, your services. Like it's, that's just what you do in life in every interaction. You have to sell someone to, 
I mean, even in, and I this I may get some backlash on this, and that's okay. But like, even when you're going to meet your spouse, you have to sell the other person on why they should, you know, why For they sure. love you, right? For why sure. they should fall in love with you? Why you're better than everybody else? Like, in order to generate friends, you have to sell them on what your values are, and we don't think of it in a negative way there, just because of the R around us. So, I guess, how do we get away from that, right? If you're leaning into that, how can we help to? Get away from that because selling is not bad if you're honest and direct with the other people in mind. I, I think that that's a million dollar question. Like you, you have to erase so much bad history. And I'm painting, you know, the history of this industry is horrible. And it's, it's not right. Every industry has good and bad people. Even, you know, the people selling stocks for a commission, there were people who drastically changed people's lives for the better doing that. How do you get away from it? I think a lot of this in the financial planning world, which I know you're in and I'm in specifically, I think has to do with the university programs. I think there are certain programs who will remain unnamed who just will will say, no, you never want to be in a sales role and you don't want to sell people and that's bad. That's the commission model. And it's, it's really not. It's you mentioned your three-year-old, right? You got to convince your three-year-old to go to sleep every night. How do you do that? Well, it's you either bribe them or you tell them about the positive things that will happen. It's it's for a positive outcome, right? Sleep is good for them. So you mm-hmm. selling them on that is still a positive thing. I think the university personal financial planning programs really have to embrace this. I deal with a lot of program directors. I mentioned I teach down at Texas Tech. That's a the biggest program that I'm aware of, and they they fully embrace it because they have practitioners working in their program. And so how do you get people to embrace it? I think you need to, to train it that and drill into people that it's not a bad thing. And, and I'll say one more thing about that. Like people come out of these programs and they're very clear past now. And I think that's amazing. But the, the biggest disconnect is you come out of a, a financial planning program and you, you go from an associate to what you know, whatever path you go down, you get to that partner path, and you're expected to develop business, and you don't know how. And then, then you're like, oh, I wish I was good at sales. Now I realize that sales is important. Right. Well, I think it's also like an education. To your point, it's like there needs to be an education on why sales is not a bad thing and how sales can actually help the person that you're selling to, right? Because they don't, they yeah. they want to be sold, right? They're coming to you because they want help and they need to believe in you and, and, and to believe in you, you have to sell them on you, right? They're not just going to, you're not yeah. just going to sit across and they're going to look at you and be like, I believe in you, right? That, that's just not, that's not how the world works. And you know, that point that you mentioned, I actually just had a conversation with another advisor who their firm's going through this, right? It's like gen one to gen two transition. Gen two was all just came in to be servicers and gen one yeah. was the rainmaker. And now gen one's leaving and they're like, uh Oh, how do we do this? And <laughs> yeah. it's like, it, that's I, I think the it's whole a big problem. problem. Yeah, they, like, this is not Amazon, right? This is not a marketplace that people log into and they pick based on a million reviews, which financial advisor. They, they, it's still an industry where people, you know, they, they rely on the limbic brain to evaluate you. It, they're not crunching numbers that they are looking for a feeling and a lot of times that feeling is based on sales skills, your, your ability to connect with somebody. And, and you talk about when in that article that you wrote about, you, and you mentioned the book, the, the psychology of pers- or influence, the psychology of persuasion, there was three different 
topics or ideas of how to help persuade people. Uh, yeah. Let's dig into those. Can you share with us what those are? And let's dig into some of those because I think that that's really good to help, you know, especially to help that Gen 2 that's needing to sell, how to sell and not make it feel like you're selling, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So you asked me what I learned and I just straight up didn't answer that question. So <laughs> let's it's, get back it's to common. that. It's common. That's what I'm here for. I just get it back <laughs> on the rails every once in a while, but it, yeah, that's what they you. pay me the big bucks for, right? That's what they pay thank me you. the big bucks Yes. Uh, the, the, the first one I would say is reciprocity. In, in Cialdini's book, the, the example they give is the, the farmer's market where you walk in and somebody gives you, you know, a little piece of cheese on a stick because you feel that you owe them something when you do that. So yeah, it's got to be a good piece of cheese. People have to enjoy it, but you're much likely to reciprocate by buying the block of cheese. So they give you this little thing, you give a big thing. This is ingrained in us. So you have a three-year-old, I have a four-year-old. If I share my dinner with my four-year-old, she will share with me, even though she has told me many times that she does not want to. You hold the door for somebody they typically scurry around you and they'll hold the second door. So reciprocity is, is, you know, we feel the need as human beings to reciprocate. Somebody gives us something, we feel as though we should give them that back and actually more. Mm. So mm. Wh- where I see this applying and how to make it work in sales is wh- when you have prospective clients come in, like it's value, 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 value. There, there are selling systems out there, and I, I think I've referenced some of them by name. I won't do it here, but it's like where they say, don't spill all the candy in the lobby. Make, make them confused, right? Make them, make them think they need to come back to get more. My approach and what behavioral psychology would tell you to do is give as much value as you possibly can, solve as many problems as you possibly can, because people will reciprocate. And the only way that they really know how to reciprocate, they're not going to buy you a bottle of wine, maybe they will buy you a bottle of wine, like to reciprocate, they're going to hire you. And, and so that's, that's number one. And I think we should be striving for that anyway. But the, the learning from this is that that will be good for your business too. I think that that's, you know, and you mentioned it in the article, you know, that's one of the, the things that you can do really well, where it, it doesn't make it feel like a sell when you're giving them value out the gate, right? When, I, when I'm when i giving, and like if I can give you like a free, like we did in our firm, like we'll give you a free hour. And in that hour, we're going to give you the strategy to go do. We're, I mean, yeah. we're giving you something and that works, right? You give them a financial plan, you give them your time and you give them, you know, you don't make it so confusing that they walk out like, what the hell? Make it simple and easy for them to understand that they could do it on their own. And they're likely not going to do it on their own because if they did, they wouldn't have come to see you in the first place. And so, yeah, for sure. That's the way of, I think, uh, of selling it in that way. You also talked about the perception of scarcity around the financial advisor. What talk to us about how someone can use that to help persuade someone to say, hey, yeah, I should sign up with them. Yeah, scarcity. This is a this is a tricky one early on. So I'll take you back to like the early cold calling days. I mean, that, that I did, I made cold calls for five years. It's very hard to say to somebody like, Hey, I can meet you on Tuesday or Thursday at 9am or 1pm on Thursday, like giving two people two slots when you're looking at a totally empty calendar. <laughs> you're like, literally, <laughs> I can meet with these people whenever. But the example, I don't know if you've ever used ZocDoc. But the example I'd use on ZocDoc is 
when you look on ZocDoc and you and for anybody listening, if you don't know what it is, essentially you can go on, you can say, I need an optometrist. And you put in your zip code and your insurance and it'll say, here are all the appointment slots that are available for optometrists in your area. If I see one that has every slot available every day of the week, I'm like, this is the worst doctor ever. There's no way I'm going to this person. Like, how is it possible that they're available? They have no other, <laughs> they have no other patients. So that that's the, the way to think about scarcity is it's the same thing. Like if, if I were trying to get an optometrist or I had an optometrist and they were like, I, we have one slot available this month. I'd be like, I'll take it. I'll move my calendar around to take it. You just, you attach value to it because there isn't as much of it. That's the, the basic principle of it. People use it all over the place with wait lists. Hey, these shoes aren't available. Enter your email address. We'll let you know when they are. Get an email a week later and you immediately buy them because you're like, they must be good if they're this hard to get. Yeah. How do we apply that in this business? Eventually you just get really busy and it happens. Right. right. Like my calendars and your calendar, I know from from booking this is is very difficult to make space in. And when clients see that because of Cialdini's work, we know that they attach value to that. Early on, the the way to create scarcity is is typically just by being intentional with your time. Look, I only take new business appointments between 8 and 10 a.m. Tuesdays through Thursdays. Here the, here's what I have available. But then you have to put other stuff in the other slots. And so the way to kind of draw it back is, you know, if you're, if you're going to build a business efficiently, how would you allocate your time? Schedule block that out. You only have a few slots available for business development, and that's what you offer people. So it, it depends on where you are in your career. But I would argue at any point you could create scarcity. Well, see, I mean, it, it, it just shows like this is a real life example of showing how it works. Like I, my calendar is actually really wide open. I just like to book out three months in advance for these podcasts just to show that like <laughs> there's a scarcity effect, right? I mean, it's yeah. working. Look, but I'm like, I mean, this guy's legit. legit. This podcast <laughs> this guy's, is awesome. <laughs> this guy's got guests out the door. He can't keep, he can't keep that mic hot enough right now. Like yeah. it's just, it's just going. I, but I do think that that is, there's something to be said about that because you know, the idea of scarcity is, is there's a, there's a balance that can be had, right? Because you don't want your clients to think that you don't have time for them, but you want them to know that you are, you are valued by other people. And, you know, if you're like, oh, I'll I'll turn this financial plan around for you by tonight, it's like, that's great. But if you're like, hey, I got to work with my team, we got to talk through this, they find value more in that than like the speed of getting it done. And and they, because they're like, oh, they're putting a ton of thought into it. So there's you got to have that balance as well, where you're getting it to them in a timely manner, but you're you're letting them know that there's a lot of thought, there's a lot of time that you're valued, or they'll abuse it. Your clients will abuse it too as well if you don't. Oh if you don't yeah, and and clients typically aren't so bad. Prospective clients will steal your time if you allow them to, and so you gotta you gotta figure out your values, right? And and one of mine is family like a lot of people. And so, you know, my family's blocked the beginning of the end of the day. I, I simply won't see people. My last meeting ends at 530. That creates scarcity, but it's also because I value, that's one of my values is family. I'm not going to put a time slot after that to the detriment of my family. Yeah. It's so, it's so true. And, and this, it's actually funny because I've just been reading about this a little bit 
in some of these in some of the books that I, I'm I'm looking into right now is you know this idea that like scarcity of time where we have this we're in this world now speaking of family right like that's my foundational core value of me I have I have eight core values that's my foundation value but we're in this world today where everybody expects for you if they send you an email or they send you a note on Slack or Teams they expect you to there's this expectation that you have to get back to them right away and yeah. we're in this world. And like, in reality, you don't need to. Like, what's the point? There's no fires right now. So everybody spends so little time with their family, so little time less being present because they're like, I need to get back to them because they expect it. And like, where did this expectation come from? You know, 20 years ago, it was like, send me a letter. Uh, I'll get it in seven days and we'll go. Like, and you know what? The world freaking worked. It worked. Yeah. But yeah, there, there are no financial emergencies. There are life emergencies that trigger financial reactions. But like, we have very few actual emergencies. It's uh, very true. I want to, before we let, I let you go, because we're, we're going to wrap up here, and I, I want you to be able to close out your day. We're recording this a little bit later in the day, so we're going up against your, <laughs> your, your family time. So I want to give you time to wrap up your day. I, I want to talk about this other article you wrote about what clients and what they value and want to hear, because I think that this is something that is super interesting, that I believe that advisors, they think that their clients want something but their clients actually don't want what their advisor thinks that they want. And, and there's this like disconnect that causes the relationship to sometimes be strained at times because the advisor focuses on the nuts and bolts while the client focuses on the soft, touchy feel, just get me what I want. And, and there's a disconnect. And you, there's this sentence, I just want to read it, that you said, or that was in the article, Morningstar, that found that clients value an advisor who helps them reach their financial goals above anything else. On the other hand, the advisors who were surveyed believe that their client's top priority would be for their advisor to understand who they were and their unique needs. And it's it's so interesting because like the advisor's going at it and be like, all right, I'm, I know who you are and here's the solution. And the, the client's like, I don't care. Just am I going to get to my goal or am I not going to get to my goal? And so that, talk to me about how advisors can overcome this, right? How can they overcome to, to, to be more on the level with their clients? other than just being like, stop talking about the nuts and bolts. Yeah, it, I think it's helpful to kind of zoom out and, and think about this in any other context. Like picture, you, you pick up your phone, you order an Uber, and you say, and you're Atlanta, in Atlanta, which I know very little about. But like if I'm here and I, I take out my phone and I say, I want to go to National Stadium. And the Uber driver comes and picks me up and he's like read my my uber profile and he he's like he starts explaining about how the car works and how great the car is and like how reliable it is i don't care about any of that stuff like i don't care i just want to get to my destination that's it no i do i want him to explain how the engine works no that's outrageous. Like you would be like, what are you talking? That's where you'd put your AirPods in and pretend to be listening to something. <laughs> so the, the vehicle doesn't matter except for comfort. Same as a car. Yeah. Some people like to drive in like fast cars or, or whatever. Like I'm, I'm not one of those people The the car to me is get me there safely, efficiently. And, and the comfort to me matters, which is safety and efficiency. So think about that for those are the investments, right? They're just gas in the tank to get us to a destination. Clients just want to get to that destination in a safe and efficient manner. And as soon as we just come to that realization, we'll speak their language. I think the best way to, to figure this out is go to your clients and they ask you a question 
ask them if they just want the answer, if they want to know how you came to the answer. And if somebody yeah. trusts you, they just want the answer. There are some people, the engineering types, which there are some of in our businesses, but in general, as a stereotype, right, those those tend to be do-it-yourselfers. But there's some people who are going to want to know the answers. But you want to stop start with like the 20,000-foot view. When should I take Social Security? Take it at 70. Do you want to know why? Let me tell you why. And I just go down as, as deep as they want to go. But I'm starting with the answer. I'm helping them achieve that goal. Yeah, I think th th there was some controversy around this, this research because the other side of it is people saying that or other research saying that people don't know their goals. And I, I tend to agree with that. But people came to your office for some reason. Like people are not paying to come to our office because they're excited about it. This is not like a concert. It's, it's somewhere where they come to get financially naked and uncomfortable. And hopefully the other side of that is they get really good answers that help them achieve, I'm going to say goals, but they're really transitions. Every single client or prospective client that comes in here has transitions, at least in our client base. I'm about to retire. My spouse just passed. I'm downsizing. Those are all transitions. The goals, the way I think about the goals is that was the door you walked out of. The goal is what's outside. Right. So you were in this house, you walked out of the door. That was retirement. Retirement is what's outside. And that's a harder thing to say. Here's exactly what I want outside to look like. I, th I think that advisors are close to meeting what the client really wants, but they're they're doing they're not they're not getting they're not crossing the bridge fully because like understanding your clients, to your point, I don't think that they all know what they want. I've seen it multiple times. A client comes in and they're like, I want to retire. It's like, okay, that's great. Now tell me what you what do you think you need in retirement? What do you want to have to be able to live on? I don't know. I want $20,000. I'm like, you're not even making $20,000 now. Like that's, that's ludicrous. Like, what are you talking about? They're like, well, I want to travel yeah. to Europe. And I'm like, so you're going to go every day. Like how often are you going to go to Europe? They're like once a year. And I'm like, all right, well, that's $15,000. <laughs> Where are you coming up with this number? But I think that advisors like trying to understand who they are and their unique needs, but you got to, I think that we just tend to, we tend to jump to solutions too quickly without asking more questions. And if we can oh, dig sure. deeper into you know, what their past was, what their desires are, then we can help them form what their goals are. And then we say, okay, well, then that's what our focus is going to be. And then now you've come to like some sense of ownership. And now you don't have to tell them how you're going to get them to their goals necessarily. You can just say, this is what we're going to do to get to your goals. You don't need to tell them every single underlying investment in the mutual fund or ETF. Just this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to manage to get there. And uh, yeah, we're, we're, yeah. Close, we're close to that point because we're asking a lot of questions. We're getting to know their unique needs. But now we just need to take that to goals and just focus on the goals as opposed to every other little aspect of it. Yeah. It, we, we were talking a little bit about EOS prior to this. Our EOS coach always says, that, you know, that's permission to play. You know, knowing the client, like that, that's a prerequisite. You have to understand the client. And, and yes, you have to know their family and their kids. Like, but that, that's obvious, right? That's, that's obvious. Get, getting people there. And, you know, I think the kinder questions are great to the kinder three questions are great to help people come up with their values and their goals. And, and that's the island, right? And we're just bridge builders. So the island is the, the are the goals and the values and things that are truly important. And we just need to build a bridge to get them there. And people don't really care about the technical aspects of the bridge, as long as they know it's safe. And it's going to get them there in an efficient manner. Yep, that's exactly right. 
Evan, this has been awesome, man. Uh, really, really interesting stuff and, and your insights, extremely valuable. But I, I, before I let you go, I'm going to let you go uh, because I, I know you have priorities. And I know that I like to, I am one of them, but not the highest. And so um, <laughs> is, I want to ask my two questions before <laughs> I let you go is the first question I always like to ask because I'm, I'm a constant learner. I love to have these conversations to continue to learn. And I always ask our guests, you know, what's one book that you think everybody should go out and read to help them continue to grow their wisdom? I wonder if anybody said this, but I, I feel like it's a pretty uh, generic one is start with why Simon Sinek start with why I, I think it's just that the application is so broad and, and also can be very specific to our business. And, and it relates back to just what we were saying, right? If you can figure out what's some, what's important to somebody and you can, you can build a bridge to get them there, you, you know, they're going to engage you. They're going to retain you. So Simon Sinek start with why, if you don't want to read it, there's a, TED talk. And then if you don't want to watch the TED talk, there's a TED talk summary. So like you'd have to be truly, <laughs> truly lazy not to get understand the, the point of this book. They make cliff note. They make cliff notes for a cliff noted TED talk, yeah. which is an unbelievable. I love that. Yeah. We'll start with why is one of the, the all time classics. I, and I, I always reference the example and start with why about and he talks about it in his TED talk of you know, Dell versus Apple and the differences. I mm -hmm. think it's just something that we can all relate to. So I'm going to tease the listeners with that. If you want to understand it, go watch the TED Talk or read the book. All right, last yeah. question. I got this from Barron's conferences because at every Barron's conference, they talk about, you know, they ask their participants, you know, what's one piece of actual takeaways that the audience can take from this conversation? So I always ask, what's one, what's an actionable takeaway or an actual piece of advice that people can go and put into work tomorrow that you think they should take away from this conversation? So I, I think, I hope there are a lot there. The, the, two, the two blog posts you mentioned are both on the Kitsis website. And they're, you know, my, my intent with those is just to give, hey, here's application of this research. It's research in action. So there's, there's a lot there. I, I think a, a, a general theme, something you should take away is, and this may not be something concrete that you do, but just know the value that you provide to people. The longer you're in this business, the more just kind of generational impact you can see that you have on people and their families. Take that with you and know that and carry it confidently to sell, to know that, it, hey, if I am not able to sell, if I don't hone that skill, it's not only bad for you in your career, you won't progress as well in your career. It's bad for the clients and the prospective clients of people that actually need our advice. So that that would be my my biggest kind of takeaway is change your attitude around selling because it it's having a negative impact on not just you but your you know all the people out there that need our help. I love that because your skills are needed and if you're not helping others get the value that you can provide then you're you're actually making it's a detriment to this to society. I mean then from yeah. that standpoint, right? Let's make it really big. Let's make it a big idea there. I love yeah. that. Evan Beach, thank you so much. It's been great. I want to know how can others stay in touch with you, follow you, continue to get information on your research? What's the best way for people to stay in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, LinkedIn, just Evan Beach, Campbell Wealth. I'm a partner with Campbell Wealth up in Alexandria, Virginia, just CampbellWealth.com. But really those two platforms. Awesome. Evan, man, thank you so much for giving us some of your time here today. Yeah, happy to do it. Great chatting with you. Great chatting with you, man. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 